And time for another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. We are joined by, you could argue, the oldest F of the all the Tim Graham Fs when it comes to the podcast world. It is Tyler Dunn, uh, who has uh, begun a new venture, and we're going to talk to him about that. But Tyler Dunn of the Dunn with Graham podcast which was my first podcast venture. I don't think it was Tyler's though. Uh, he had done it at a previous stop, but uh, this whole thing got started with uh, Tyler Dunn and me. Uh, so Tyler's joining us. We're not, we, who knows what we'll talk about. We may talk about Doug Marone and airplane hangers. We may talk about, um, you know, scoring, scoring touchdowns against Salamanca, um, whatever. <laughs> Salamanca, is that a – see, here's my, my Western New York ignorance. Did you play Salamanca in your league? We did not, even though I technically lived in Salamanca, went to school at Elegantville. We, we would have killed them. We had a much better football team, but they were a class above us. Some would say they were scared, Tim. I think Salamanca was scared of those Eagles from Elegantville. The year after I graduated, they did play Elegantville, and I was pretty pissed about it. All right. Well, let's, let's not get sidetracked. We have more important things to yes. talk about. The Bills are eight and three. UB is undefeated. And Jarrett Patterson just ran for eight touchdowns in a game over 400 yards. And uh, we have the whole crew here today. Of course, uh, Jonah Bronstein of uh, Bronstein Consolidated is here. And uh, Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. And uh, we're here to talk some foosball. And uh, Tyler, the floor is yours. What, what comes to mind uh, after this loaded weekend of Western New York football, number one, but also uh, through your venture. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but like, give me some thoughts off the top of your head here uh, as we get started. Sure. Yeah. I'm kind of mad that I didn't watch that UB game. That was the one to watch. I didn't watch one second of it. So shame on me. I can't wait to learn more about it from you guys, but yeah, you know, start and go long. It's a um, newsletter within Substack community, but you can go on golongtd.com, subscribe if you want. And I've just been kind of cranking out variety of stories, features, profiles. And this was the first weekend, I guess, that I kind of took on a way to cover games. You know, I, I, tr I want this to be like an enterprising journalism website, not necessarily, you know, news and not necessarily game summaries or reaction pieces. So it was a little different, you know, going into it just in terms of my own little world and go along. I, I was just trying to think of an angle around Mahomes Brady. Obviously I figured everybody would be watching that game the best ever versus the guy who will be the best ever soon if he isn't already. And uh, I had a lot of contacts doing Patrick Mahomes stuff in the past. So I just called up uh, Nick Shimanick. He was his backup at Texas Tech. And I think he knows Patrick Mahomes better than anybody. They, they're really close friends. He was actually at the Animal Hospital when we, when we talked. <laughs> He's got two Italian Mastiffs, and they beat the hell out of one of his puppies. So the puppy is good in a cast, doing well. I just thought he had a great perspective on – how Mahomes got to this point as fast as he did. He was kind of, you know, lazy is a strong word, but he kind of admitted is he, he didn't really work that hard at Tech. Cliff Kingsbury kind of zapped, zapped that into him because he works as hard as any coach you'll ever hear about. And he watched film of Tom Brady all the time. So talking to him Saturday night, was able to kind of marry that with what we saw on Sunday. A lot of the things Patrick Mahomes did on the field was really related to what Shimanek said and, and it's specifically what he'd look for in Brady. So 
kind of different, you know, than, than how we maybe covered games in the past. I think I was up until like 3 a.m. putting this together because I've got one editor who's a buddy of mine <laughs> who shall remain nameless because he does have a full-time job and he's kind of doing this on the side. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, putting this together and, and piecing, you know, all the content management behind it. Um, it's a lot I of happen fun, to man. know this editor, Tyler? You would. He may or may not have been at the bachelor party at uh, Scott Hollow down in the Southern Tier. Interesting. What's that? Go ahead, Jonah. We, I think we talked over you. I said, I said Tim doesn't remember anything from that weekend, so that wouldn't be a good reference point. <laughs> oh, I do. I remember plenty. Uh, I remember uh, people sleeping at the bonfire. Um, well, what technically wasn't a bonfire. It was the setup there at, uh, at Holiday Valley, you know, the fire pit. Uh, oh, there was, there was good times to be had. Uh, interesting photos of, uh, of Mike Rodak. Um, oh, no, good times. Good times were had by some. I haven't had a shot since. That's, that's a true story. So we, we gave those <laughs> up. Hey, uh, so, Tyler, I guess re- we're winging it here a little bit because I know that when the four of us get together, there's no telling where we're going to go with it. But um, go along with Tyler Dunn, the website. So it's in its infancy, really. Uh, you had your launch feature uh, last week, and then this was your first Sunday. Like you just said, you're up till 3 a.m. And the, uh, the template that you posted on your website of what your average week is going to look like seemed pretty full to me. Uh, and so people who do subscribe to Go Along with Tyler Dunn, um, of which I'm a subscriber, um, jumped on as uh, quickly as I could. And um, the, it just seems like there's going to be a lot of content. And so take me through your first Sunday of NFL games and how you wanted to cover it, because I'm sure as much as you planned it out, this is your first Sunday and people are looking at go long with Tyler Dunn. You were on the Dan Patrick show uh, the other day, you've been making the media round. So, you know, a lot of people are looking and they're expecting. So what was it like for you having some pressure uh, on your first Sunday? Yeah. You know, and I, I wasn't really sure how to approach game coverage with this all because you're right. I want this to be a long form newsletter and you know, that, those kind of stories, you don't just kind of churn out every day, but I also want this to be worth people's time, be worth people's money. And I want to keep go along, kind of humming along through the season. So thankfully I have, you know, a lot of reporting done on a lot of the features and profiles that people will see over the coming weeks. So like, you know, Tim, I mean, you're the best feature writer in the country and not just blowing smoke, but you, you plan ahead, you, you work ahead, you, you do these conversations in advance and that helps. So um, in terms of time management, I'm not that worried. I just, I just want this to be worth people's time. And I want to try to give people a story that they haven't read before that matters kind of beyond the muck that we get on social media. That's, that's a whole other story to answer your question. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think Peter King kind of sets, sets the standard, you know, in terms of nationally covering uh, the NFL out of Sunday. I mean, there's nobody's going to be able to touch what he does. The MMQB turned, Football Morning in America is required reading for anybody with a pulse that enjoys football. It's unbelievable. So I guess, you know, in a way you could say it's kind of a, a poor man's or a homeless man's PK, but uh, I just, I think I can offer a different perspective. I think I've got 
a lot of relationships and um, a lot of a lot of folks in the Rolodex that can that can tap into for different storylines as they come up because I want to be flexible. I want to think ahead. And just with this weekend, I guess it was pretty straightforward, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes is playing Tom Brady. We've read so much about Patrick Mahomes. We've read so much about Tom Brady. And I just was hoping to find somebody who might be able to offer something a little different. So maybe that was a little different for people. And then out of that, just kind of whipping around the league with analysis, um, with a little bit of reporting and go from there. But, but yeah, definitely. I think the, the foundation for go along is going to be, you know, number one Fridays when I would hopefully be dropping a story that will make people want to drop everything, what they're doing and, and read it right then. So I think it's important to kind of build that cadence, Tim, and just get people thinking mentally, okay, it's Wednesday. I can expect this. It's Thursday. I can expect this. It's Friday. I can, I can expect this. And is, this is just the beginning. I know it seems like a lot, but I'm, I'm hoping that this can keep growing over time too. Hi, what's it? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I see what you're doing now. And I think back to when you covered the bills just a season, but when you were a massive pain in the ass to be competing against, because it seemed you, know, you like, say that Matt, you're right. It was just a season, wasn't it? It felt like five years with yes, everything you turned it out. Did. And um, not, not in a bad way, but yeah, no, yeah. That with, prolific. That's what I mean. Oh, I and, and it. you know, the, the cadence, you know, and what Tim's talking about when you look at it on paper and what you're, you're telling people that you're going to bring, it's like, wow, that's a lot. But when I think back to, <laughs> to 2015 i'm like eh, i don't know it seems like ty's uh, lightening his load a little bit here um <laughs> but you know how do you work ethic was never an issue with tyler oh, no God. nor you know oh, nor God. was uh you know cranking stuff out but what's it been like for you because i know the cadence wasn't that way at bleacher report so have you kind of been uh knocking off the cobwebs getting getting your engine revving back to that that speed you were at before you're speaking to my soul, Matt. I mean, it definitely is a shock to the system both ways. I mean, because even before the Buffalo News, you know, working with Bob McGinn, Tom Silverstein, Lori Nickel, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, I mean, that was that was the case. It was just multiple posts, stories, podcasts, videos every day. I mean, the Packer fans, hey, I was one of them growing up. They're they're insane. They're nuts. They become your boss. I mean, you're just kind of like feeding the beast. So to go from that, bring it to Buffalo and then, you know, Bleach Report, which I'm unbelievably grateful for these last four years. They're just, they didn't want that case. I mean, they, their, their model, they, they, were, they were able, I mean, it's changed over the years, but they were able to aggregate, pick up stuff from other people. And they just wanted me to stick to one or two stories a month, long form, report the hell out of them. And honestly, I felt like I could always do, do more. They just wasn't required. It wasn't needed. So that was a shock to the system. Granted, the timing was pretty good. I, I met my wife and we have a one-year-old and we got a house. A lot of stuff happened in, in our world here. Um, and so now, I, you know, that's the challenge now to, to, to be a dad and a husband and a homeowner and kind of go back to cranking that stuff out. But um, no. If only I had all those distractions back when I was competing against you. Would have made my <laughs> life a lot easier. No, they're, they're amazing. They're, you know, you know, Gina, well, she's unbelievably uh, understanding with this all. So uh, no, it's, it, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm only one week into it, but I, I really have no worries, no concerns about churning this out. I think as long as I think, you know, long enough in advance and plan things out. Cause I don't want, I, the last thing I absolutely want to do is cut corners and have a story that's, you know, a little light on the reporting or, you know, maybe I didn't ask a question here or a question there. I, I, 
I, I want that to be like the bedrock of it is Friday, that thing you can expect every single week, but just know that newsletter is going to keep pumping out. No doubt. Tyler, I'd imagine you researched this a little bit before diving in, but what do you think, or what have you learned about Substack, Patreon, these independent journalism, I wanted to say shops, but it's not a shop kind of doing it on your own. You know, what, what do you think about this? field and what does that bring to you and your work and readers and, and where is this going with these kind of things? You know, I mean, obviously Tim and, and Matt, you guys know it well at the athletic. I, I think we're all going to be biased just in terms of like the model, right? That, that direct, you know, consumer to you paying for your content, believing in you, no advertising, no corporate overload overlords, none of that stuff that you, you know, media companies have had in the past is, is really appealing. So I think that for the future of journalism, I mean, I, th I think this is the future. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, advertising can, is pretty volatile and it'll go up, it'll go down. Um, in terms of Substack itself, I didn't even know what Substack was when Bleacher Report laid us off back in August. Um, had no clue. A bunch of people reached out to me and said, hey, have you heard, from, heard about Substack? Like, you'd be perfect for this. Like, you're kind of writing. It's just different. It's unique. And you know, if you just put your stuff out there, see what happens. And I talked to a lot of people. I talked to Steve Hayes. Um, he's part of uh, the Dispatch. That's probably Substack's uh, biggest company. You know, they came from different magazines and, and different places. Him and Jonah Goldberg, I believe, headed up. And he couldn't say enough about Substack and, and the direction of things and how good of a company it is. Talked to Henry Abbott at True Hoop. Um, unbelievably successful NBA writer, editor, obviously folks probably remember from ESPN. He loved it. And I just think it's really clean. It's really user-friendly and it's, it reaches you directly. I mean, it goes, I guess what's different about it from the athletic or any other pay sites, it just goes directly to your, to your email, which you guys do that though now with your newsletters. So maybe I shouldn't speak out of turn. You guys do that as well. Newsletters are the future. We keep being told. Yeah. Exactly. I think it is. It's, we can all have sites and URLs and apps, um, but people are refreshing their email, you know, incessantly. That's where people live. So I, I really love that concept of it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's entrepreneurial. I'm not going to lie. Like, I love that aspect of it. I mean, that's, it's kind of in my blood. I mean, my dad had his own company. Uh, my sister just started her own company, a, a gym down in Great Valley. And although we'll see what happens with uh, all these rules, conversation for another day, but I think that urge has always kind of been like inside of me somewhere. And I always, always wondering, like, I love writing about sports. I love just, you know, storytelling and talking to all these people. Um, but I would love to just be my own boss one day. So Substack gives you that opportunity. They take 10% and it's easy as hell to use. I, I've been loving it so far. What kind of market research did you do? And you're talking about getting into and, and researching the, the site and all those things. But when, uh, what did you do in terms of formulating this template that we talked about earlier and deciding what the reader is going to want? You know, how much work you need to produce on a weekly basis, the type of work, um, what they're looking for, price point, all these other things that you had to think about that you never have to before you just researched a story and wrote it. Uh, now you have so many things to worry about uh, that the, um, whether or not to go for advertising. And maybe that's another layer to this question I'm asking you. Um, but yeah, what went into your 
all the before you launched what went into your preparations yeah there's definitely some uh you know pissing in the wind as i like to say <laughs> a lot of there's going to be a lot of trial and error not going to act like i'm the expert here because i sure as heck am not like um probably should do some more market research actually i, th I think this is just so new at least to me that the, the concept of a newsletter is very very new i've subscribed to some myself and i think I'm kind of like a lot of my market research is how I'm consuming these newsletters myself. I think like putting something out first thing in the morning is huge. Creating a habit is huge. That's what Henry Abbott really stressed to me is you, you want to create that habit. You know, that's almost more valuable than any price you could ever set. Um, anything financially you could ever do is think about our day-to-day -day lives. When you get up in the morning, you might change a diaper. You maybe put the coffee on, you maybe flip the TV on. Uh, do you, do you go right to a certain website? Do you read somebody's article? Is there, you know, we, we're such creatures of habits. Somehow changing those habits, I think is paramount. How do I do that? I don't really know. I, I guess I'm kind of simple that way. I feel like if I am able to put out just good stuff and stories people enjoy that are going to be different, that it can kind of knife through a lot of the, the muck out there. And there's a lot of it. I mean, you guys are incredible. I read everything you guys write. I, there's a, a lot of amazing writers at The Athletic and beyond. You know, SI still has a, a good core. There's some at ESPN. But, I mean, I'm going to tell you guys, I feel like most folks, our generation, it's just like you're flipping through Twitter. And you're spitting out memes and gifs and takes. And that's kind of a lot of people's lives and jobs and how they consume stuff today, sadly. So, to me, my market research was – just that, like, I, I feel like there's a niche for people who don't want to live in that world and do want to take their brains back as Hamish, uh, the, the founder of Substack likes to say, let people take their brains back. You pay somebody, you, you want to read what this person says, you think they offer a perspective or reporting or something that's different. And you're willing to spend, you know, 25 minutes reading that story as opposed to 25 minutes, you know, farting around on Twitter. So I think that I'm hoping that kind of snaps back in 2020 and beyond and, and folks do want to kind of read more and consume, you know, longer form kind of stories and content. And that becomes a habit because that's to me that that would be my market research. Not that I really uh, did any on a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. It's more like, you know, shooting from the hip, kind of a in instinctual market research Tim. Right. And, and, you know, that's, yeah. uh, that's the Warren Buffett model. Uh, maybe not uh, shooting from the hip, but uh, I think the, the spirit of it is pursuing what you like or what you would want as entrusting your, uh, your discerning abilities uh, of, you know, hey, I really like Coca-Cola. Therefore, I'm going to buy Coca-Cola. You know, I am a, uh, I love Dairy Queen, therefore I'm going to buy Dairy Queen, you know, so yeah. here it is, you love long form journalism, you're betting on yourself, which, you know, I think uh, we've all had to do, everybody on this call has, has had to do at some point, uh, you've done it previously in your career, but now you, uh, you know, you're, this is the ultimate betting on yourself, yeah. really, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an admirable venture and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing where it goes and you said earlier that you threw some a bouquet at my feet uh, that I didn't respond to but um, for 
for us to enjoy a, a full circle jerk, let me say <laughs> that uh, your uh, your abilities as a feature writer are unsurpassed. So it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's good to see you back in the game. That's for sure. Oh, appreciate that, man. I, I really do. Well, I, I learned from the best. So. Um, what is it that uh, you look forward to doing uh, without tipping your hand? I know you don't like to let people know what you're working on, <laughs> but uh, can you give a uh, vague, you know, ideas to uh, what's coming? Because I think, uh, and, and plus too, I'm guessing this is an, this is a, an assumption. You're going to want to spread out in, within the league. You began with a Buffalo Bills story. And I think you have so much of your audience, you know, is from Western New York because it's where you're from. You worked at the Buffalo News, you covered the Bills. Um, but you, I'm, I'm sure you strive for a national presence. So um, moving around the league with your coverage, I'm sure is going to be significant. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, parachuting into different markets. And I think the cool thing about Substack too, I can kind of see where the, the free email signups are coming from, where the subscriptions are coming from and how certain stories resonate. And I should have said this at the top, but folks, I mean, obviously subscribe anytime you'd like. So for the first few weeks, I, you can just put your email in and sign up on the, the free email list and get the story. So you kind of get a sense for you know, what to expect long-term. Um, I should probably be less paranoid about my ideas. As you guys know, I don't like really talking about that all, but you got to sell this stuff, right? I mean, people got to know what to expect. So on uh, this- I know it's I don't, very, very paranoid. It's the Bob McGinn in me. Bob, Bob wouldn't tell me what he was working on all the time. So it's, I, I blame my Green Bay father, Bob, for that. Uh, this week, though, speaking of Bob McGinn and Green Bay, I will have a Packers story on Friday. So we'll be uh, going back to that, to that well, have some. They love reporting. you out there after your last story. Oh, big fans, big fans. Um, but no, it will be, it will well, be actually, a little more upbeat. Let's stop there. It will we, be a more, it will be more upbeat. We won't, and we don't have to say Packers in general, but, and I guess this is kind of part of the market research question, but a little bit more inside baseball. Um, how much did you reach out the teams to say, what kind of access will go along with Tyler Dunn get that because I'm not at Bleacher Report or at the Buffalo News or working for the, the, I'm not the beat writer anymore and I'm uh, unaffiliated with a, with a specific outlet. I mean, did you reach out to different PR staffs and say, Hey, am I going to be able to get so-and-so on the phone? Am I going to be able to get players? Am I, you know, what, how did you, what kind of response did you get? The response has been, I mean, I'm not just BSing you guys. It's been overwhelmingly positive. I, part of me wondered like all these players, all of these uh, marketing agencies and agents and teams, you know, a lot of them were very accommodating. Was it just because, you know, Bleach Report had such a huge platform and reaches a lot of people? Um, I've had unbelievably good success getting high profile players without giving who away. I mean, we'll have, I talked to a handful of just, you know, quote unquote stars that were willing to go deep on some, on some subjects and were willing to talk to me at length. And just because they, you know, I might've talked to them, to them in the past, and there was a relationship there or, you know, some of these guys I never even talked to before in my life. I, I think maybe part of it, I think it's been a weird year with COVID, you know, a lot of Zooms and a lot of press conferences and they're, I mean, you, it's probably got to drive you guys nuts. You can't talk to these players in person in a locker room. I think a lot of players are dying to talk. I think a lot of players are dying to just tell their stories or 
go beyond what they have been this year. And it's, I, I, my hope is that we kind of snap back into open locker room once COVID kind of goes away. I hope this doesn't become the norm for the NFL, which we're probably going to have to fight for, but no, I mean, it's, it's been great. PR departments have been really good. You know, there's, I've got some better relationships with some better than other in terms of uh, all of that. Uh, with the Packers story, I, I was able to just reach players uh, directly. Um, have a couple sources where I can get folks cell phone numbers. And for the most part, they answer, they talk. It was great. And hopefully it'll be a story that's a little different. I, I guess to tease it a little bit, I think what I find interesting about Green Bay is they're kind of building, they kind of had two teams within one. You know, you don't really see this kind of team building in the NFL where, I mean, they're developing a quarterback, developing a running back. They have all these young pieces underneath the, a layer or two of Aaron Rodgers playing like an MVP, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones. And, I mean, Aaron Rodgers himself was very, very upset that they drafted his replacement. All the fans were upset about it. Why aren't you trying to win now? I think they're finding a way to win now and in the future. And it's kind of a model that maybe more teams should uh, emulate. Having the Bears and the Lions in your division is helpful. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. And the Vikings. And the Vikings. So, yeah. yeah. I, I was going historically. But, yeah, the Vikings uh, this year, you know, for the last couple of years, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, that'll really help keep a quarterback feeling pretty elite. Yeah. Looking elite. It does. It do but you know what? They did beat up the Saints on the road. I know it was early in the year, but – I, I feel like the Packers, you know, covering them out there, they were always pretty soft by January. A lot of that had to do with Mike McCarthy and the way he ran practices, the way he ran the team, Ted Thompson, the way he drafted players. I mean, they were always, it definitely gravitated, gravitated toward the choir boy and not the, uh, not the, the asshole. We can say that you got to have a few assholes, right? I mean, you got to have some gnarly players. So they've got a few so. of those. They got a few of those. I, I think it, they're in a good spot right now. We have a few more minutes. Um, what else did you want to touch on before we let you go? Oh, man. I appreciate you guys letting me get into this all. So thank you. Um, well, let's hear We have a lot of, obviously, this, uh, the, the audience for this show is probably 99% Western New Yorkers. Uh, your thoughts on the Bills uh, as, uh, as they look down the, the home stretch, five more games. Uh, what's your, what's your uh, assessment of where the bills are and, and what uh, we can expect in January. I think we can all agree here that Josh Allen is a lot better than he was last year, just like he was a lot better last year than he was the year before that. But I mean, we can talk about the defense. We can talk about the receivers and the coaches and their opponent. It comes down to him. I mean, he's, I think you saw some of the old Josh Allen resurface yesterday with, with some of the mistakes he made in the fourth quarter. If, if they really want to compete for Super Bowls, thought Doug Whaley kind of put it well. Like, is your goal to be in the conversation? They're in the conversation. They'll probably win the division. First time since 95. That's awesome. If your goal is to win the Super Bowl, can he just make that switch mentally as Kurt Warner kind of broke down? Can he anticipate? Can he process? I don't I, – I really agree with Kurt Warner. I never really saw the game that way. But, like, you can't really just play make your way to three, four playoff wins in a row. Defenses are going to force him – to react and force him to mentally process in a way he hasn't shown he can consistently do yet. So it's all about Josh Allen. And I know some folks like to play that counterfactual game. Some folks don't, but Hey, you're in the Patrick Mahomes era. So like it or not, a quarterback 
that your owner loved, a quarterback you should have drafted as bad of a situation as it would have been with Dennison Cauley and Kelvin Benjamin, all that, you could have had him. So I can't get that out of my head. I'm sure a lot of fans can't get that out of their head. Hey, one last quick one, because I, I made a mention of this to Matt yesterday in a text. I want to see what you guys think of it. And I would hate to have this discussion without you involved, Tyler. This is a okay. total observation. And it's something that comes from 25, 30 years of being a sports writer. It doesn't come from any kind of inside knowledge. It's just something that I noticed. And it's the type of thing that some people might, some people not. I don't know. Yesterday during the game, I saw something that I've seen from Josh Allen in many previous games, and it always seems to precede disaster, whether it be in a play or a sequence. There was a point in the game in the third quarter, I think it was, Matt, when I sent a text to say, Josh Allen is laughing. He's on the field, he's playing quarterback, and he just made some kind of play, or the Bills just made some kind of play. They're coming back into the huddle, and he's laughing. Now, again, read between the lines. This isn't me trying to heap. This is just an observation. Whenever I see him start laughing on the field, he's about to make a major mistake. <laughs> and he almost threw an interception right there at the goal line about two plays after I sent Matt that text. And then the, then the fourth quarter happened. Well, he ran a touchdown and got the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Yeah. So yes. I get that that wasn't quite stupid, but um, a little it overzealous. A, yeah, it was starting to we, we the, call the main, mm -hmm. the brain is starting to drift a little bit and thinking, mm -hmm. isn't this easy and fun? And <laughs> whether it's a golfer or what have you, you know, you start getting like, <laughs> come on, guy. I mean, how, how much fun is this? Look, we're just, we're just boat racing. Look these at guys. Us. <laughs> and then bang, bang, bang. And it's like, holy shit, what just happened? And I've seen it happen, I don't know, six times, eight times. In it. And he did it earlier in the year against the Jets uh, and ended up throwing uh, the interception that got the Jets oh back God. in the game in the season. He does it over and over again where he's – anyways, I'll, I'll leave that on the floor. I know you got to get going, but has anybody else noticed this? I have not noticed it at all, but that is why you're Tim Graham right there. I got to keep an eye out for that. <laughs> I might you know, be it, it is true. I, I think probably. we all kind of have our idiosyncrasies, you know, we, whether he knows he's doing it or not, like there's something to that, but I'm might sorry. Be... I got, I got to run. Unfortunately, guys, you guys keep talking, please. I got to right. go. Sorry to hold you uh, beyond uh, your, your curfew here, Ty. But no, you're good. Good luck with, uh, a few times. with Tyler Dunn. E email me later. What's yeah, up? I'll, I'll be waiting for the emails in my inbox. No. Hey, you guys are amazing. Thank you for all subscribing and thanks for the support. Um, this was awesome. So let's get some beers soon. They're long overdue. You got it, bud. Thanks all for right. coming on. Thank you. Tyler Dunn of Go Long with Tyler Dunn. Um, so yeah. Did, uh, yeah, now he's done. He's totally done. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. Anything about left the... over to say about Josh Allen's um, uh, maybe attitude not, not attitude but maybe mindset getting uh starting to drift uh, during games sometimes i think what's interesting about it is if you think about the reverse um his bet perhaps his best game as a pro was the day after his grandmother passed and he was just locked in um you know kind of a no prisoners type of approach put his you know foot on the jugular of that seahawks defense and just kept going and going and it was there's a you know, a balancing act there, what you're saying of playing loose, having fun, 
laughing it up, smiling, getting involved in the the trash talk. He almost seemed like a different level focused in that Seahawks game, which um, a little bit odd considering, you know, maybe not what people would expect. You either go one way or the other when you're dealing with something like that. But um, he was that way against the Cardinals too. And I'm not saying feeling, you know, the loss of his grandmother, but you'd see the sideline shots. It is no expression. You know, maybe somebody come by and, and tap him on the shoulder pads and you just give him a nod. Um, the look on his face, even after Kyler Murray completed that pass was, you know, stone faced, you know, it's just kind of like no ex- expression, which is what you want out of your quarterback. You always, you always hear that that's one of the great traits to have is you can't tell when he's winning or losing, uh, because he lets it go or he, whatever, but, um, Tom Brady doesn't have that. Does he? No, he does not. He's, he's sort of the exception. He's a complete lunatic. Um, although you when, can't tell when he's winning. You can tell right. when he's losing. He's, exactly. But you can't, I mean, sometimes he looks pissed off when he's winning. It's like Russell Wilson's the opposite. He's always just happy-go-lucky no matter what's happening, and he's firing the guys up. So everybody's got kind of their own thing that works for them that helps them find that, you know, equilibrium that that they play their best at. And you might be onto something with Josh Allen. We'll have to we'll have to monitor that a little closely because I do think we, I think we've touched on this on this show. I forget where I say certain things or write certain things, but the lack of crowds, I think, has helped Josh Allen not get too amped up, not get too excited, and too, uh, you know, not not feel himself too much at times. It's not that he gets nervous. I don't think he's the nervous type, the guy that's rattled. I think he gets overexcited, overeager, um, perhaps a different kind of nervous, but he's not like scared to perform in front of a crowd. He just loves it too much. Um, he yeah. gets way too fired up. So I don't know, maybe it's, it, it's all birds of the same feather. One thing I would add, and I don't know if this means a whole lot in the question of, you know, what do they need from Josh Allen to win a playoff game, win a Super Bowl? But I do think his personality and the way he carries himself and being kind of one of the guys really resonates with the rest of the Bills team. And I think to this point, that has helped Josh Allen. Maybe he needs to balance that as he matures. But I think if he was more of a quiet, keep-to-himself quarterback, he might not be having quite as much success to this point with this team. Excellent point, Jonah. You're right. You, you can't have him bottle it up because you, then that takes away one of his strengths that I, is the, the leadership aspect of it, of, all right, everybody, um, let's go, you know, Pied Piper, everybody followed me. Everybody just gets in line and be like, hell yeah, we love this guy. Uh, but yeah, at some point he, he needs to, at least within a, within a game from a series to series or a play to play basis. Um, I, I think, I guess that leadership probably is established through the week heading up to the game. And then with the occasional play here or there where uh, I think what he tried to do on that fumble, by the way, when he lost the fumble in the fourth quarter, he was trying to reenact that Dallas, that, that play on Thanksgiving. Yep. Same thing. Tried to pick it up. Tries to, you know, will his way to a first down or like, yeah, I've done this before. And people have been showing it because it is Thanksgiving. That game was a year ago. Uh, But that is an excellent point, Jonah. I think that there is a fine line um, that, uh, that he needs to, that he needs to walk. Um, Well, quarterbacks don't often come across as just one of the guys. Aaron Rodgers maybe is the best example of that. And Josh Allen's been able to do that. I think Jim Kelly did some of that, even though there were a lot of differences. But 
Jim Kelly being like a peer of the linebackers on that team, I think was a big part of their chemistry. And you're seeing some of that with Josh Allen now. Yep. I would agree with that. And, um, you know, I, I found it interesting, although not surprising that I, I would say a hundred percent of what I noticed on Twitter in response to Josh Allen's unsportsmanlike conduct penalty were Bill's fans saying, give me that 10 times out of 10. Um, I love it. Let's see more of it. And actually taunting penalties or unsportsmanlike conduct penalties aren't necessarily that detrimental, especially with special teams being so limited. Um, however, if you get into a playoff situation and he does that and the Colts end up with the ball on the 40 instead of the 25 on their ensuing possession and all they need is a field goal to win it or to take the lead, uh, that 15-yard penalty, uh, you're not going to be too thrilled with it. And you could say, well, it's a stupid rule. And I agree with you. I think it is a stupid rule. Tyreek Hill does a backflip into the end zone and doesn't get a penalty. I don't think he did anyway. Um, and you know, how is that not taunting? I get it. It's stupid, but you can be debating how stupid it is when the bills are out of the playoffs and you're watching two other teams in the AFC championship game. Um, the fact is it's a rule and you have to play by those rules. And um, I think that his, his willingness to flirt not only with um, penalties in that regard, but also I think, I think it's flirting with disaster when he lets himself get a little too excited. And uh, it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to monitor as, as the pressure mounts here over the next uh, month and a half. Uh, Jonah, I Dude. wanted to, before we get, uh, before we wrap up here, let's talk about Jarrett Patterson. Eight touchdowns, 409 yards, um, Lance Leipold and Jarrett Patterson both said, I think the right things regarding his removal from the game. He would have had two NCAA records, most rushing yards in a game, uh, most touchdowns in a game, uh, either rushing or total. Um, had he stayed in the game and, and scored that last touchdown that Kevin Marks got. Um, but I'm sure Lance Leipold is kicking himself over the last 72 hours because let's face it, mid-major programs, live off of publicity and showcasing your players uh, at, uh, at the rare moments that they do happen. And Jarrett Patterson was the second story on SportsCenter Saturday night after uh, the uh, woman kicker for Vanderbilt. So if not for that bit of history being made um, and breaking down the gender barrier in, in college football, Jarrett Patterson leads off SportsCenter on Saturday night. Um, I don't know. I'll just kind of throw it out there. There's a lot to a lot of little nuance to get into with Jarrett Patterson. Well, I, yeah, I do agree with you. I think it was big, that kind of national perception along with the win and getting closer to the top 25. A lot of more people are talking about Buffalo football outside of Western New York and Mac country than they were a week or two ago. And a lot of that has to do with the numbers that Jarrett Patterson is putting up and, UB did set a record in that game for combined running backs for two running backs. Kevin Marks had 97 yards, so, you know, it's 506. That No, I don't know, maybe there is another running back tandem that's gone over 500 yards, but nobody's ever had 506. So that's quite an accomplishment. I was a little surprised Patterson was in there on that last drive. I thought they were maybe going for 400 or the record, because just covering this team, watching them, he had already had 33 or 34 carries. I thought Kevin Marks, who hadn't gotten quite as many touches as, as Patterson would be getting the work at the end. The game was a little bit out of reach. 
and they got to 409 and then pulled him out. Marks gets 19 yards and a touchdown on the next carry. That would have been the record. But I don't think that um, Jared Patterson needs to actually hold the actual records rather than the second best running game, the first 400-yard game in however many years, and tying the touchdown record. I think that's good enough for the perception. Maybe if there's another opportunity to do it again, they keep him in and see how far he can go just to see what happens if we give him 40 carries. Can he get 500 yards? I don't know if I've never seen a high school running back or anybody at any level even get 409. So it might be interesting to see what happens when we just feed the guy the ball over and over again. But also you got to think of in a short season that had a weird off season, I wouldn't want to give my best running back too many carries and wear him down at points in midseason when just for records. And I know Lance Leipold isn't the type that cares quite as much about that as he does about winning the game and getting off the field and going and, you know, starting to prepare for the next game. And that's what Jared Pedersen said after the game as well. And the thing that we need to remember also, and we talked about it on uh, Friday with Gerald Dixon on Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK, uh, that Kevin Marks has an NFL future too. And with this shortened season, I'm sure UB wants to get him on film so people can look at him, uh, help his uh, ability to make it to the next level. Uh, they need to make sure that, you know, they can't just keep Jarrett Patterson on the field for 60 minutes. And, uh, you know, they, they have other guys, other mouths to feed, so to speak. Jonah, what can you um, say about the offensive line? Because I don't want to – kind of what Tim's talking about. We talked to Gerald Dixon last week. Uh, not that he didn't heap praise on on Jarrett Patterson, but uh, mentioned some of his limitations, mentioned that that Marks has that NFL future. So they clearly have two very good running backs. But um, what can you tell us about these offensive line and how they've built this line? Because clearly they've now been this dominant rushing team for two years in a row. Um, you know, it's been the, the, the identity of this team in so many ways, and these are, are good running backs, but they're not doing it all themselves. How did they build this line? Who, who's up there? Who, whose names do people need to know? Well, the top name is left tackle Coyote Awasika, who is a senior, and, and I don't know if he'll get drafted, but he'll be a draft prospect type of player. He moved over from right tackle to left tackle. And I, that's maybe the most impressive thing about this line is how well they're playing and blocking with replacing three starters and moving a right tackle to a left tackle. So only one player is in the same position he was in last year, the center, Mike Nowitzki. And he, you know, he's a Rochester kid in his redshirt sophomore year. He didn't even play offensive line at high school. He was a lacrosse player and a tight end. And UB turned him into a center when he came here. And the turnover they've had on the line and still being as dominant as they are is what really impresses me. I mean, over the last eight games, going back to last season, they haven't allowed a sack. That's 140 pass attempts, I think. And they're averaging over 300 yards rushing between Patterson and Mark. So the offensive line deserves a ton of credit, especially if you watch how big some of these holes are on Patterson's run. I mean, it's not just him. He goes out there and has, he said, nothing but green grass, and he's going untouched on maybe half of these eight touchdowns. And with the offensive line, I should maybe mention, they have a blocking tight end, Jake Malinich, who never – I think he has one catch this year and one catch last year, but he's out there. He starts every game. He's blocking it up. Another tight end, Zach Lefebvre. It all works together. They got a quarterback who – I think they've been running the ball better since they went to Kyle Van Trees, a quarterback, and I think that has something to do with the way he commands the huddle and makes calls at the line. And they just got it really rolling. It sounds like a cliche, but it's very complimentary football. Everybody doing their job makes Jared Patterson look as good as he has. 
Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. And CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Uh, University at Buffalo plays at Ohio on Thursday. The Bills playing San Francisco at somewhere. Do we know that for sure yet? I mean, the, they're talking uh, Glendale, Arizona, but uh, I don't think that's been finalized, has it? Not as of when we started recording, but I guess Arizona and maybe Dallas was in the mix, was being floated, but um, seems like Arizona is the most likely landing spot, but just the latest weird, uh, weird twist in a weird season. Both Buffalo teams favored. Uh, UB uh, is a 10-point favorite uh, in Athens. And they haven't won there in 12 years. What's that? Uh, UB hasn't won in Athens since 2008. A couple years ago, they were 9-1 and one and almost in the top 25, and they lost at Ohio, and that was didn't ruin their season, but kind of took a little bit of the shine off how good they were that year. Ohio is one of those teams. They're always uh, – They're always – Frank Solich. Mid-American Conference uh, opponent. Uh, they are the type of team that occasionally knocks off a Big Ten team or whatever major uh, opponent they have on their non-conference schedule. Um, well, that's why Fold has said he he's built this. He's tried to build this Buffalo program in the image of what Frank Solich has done at Ohio. Frank Solich, uh, Lance Leipold worked for Frank Solich at Nebraska, and probably when he took the job, talked to Frank about, you know what it takes to win at this level and he's doing that but I, especially in Lance Leifold's mind getting this win at Ohio the one place they haven't won yet I think would really be the as much as the championship is the crowning achievement for this program I think surpassing Ohio and getting this win would really be that crowning achievement for Lance Leifold as a coach. It seems as though there is a a wrinkle that can keep you be focused for most opponents on this schedule, like you say, Kent state, they were supposed to beat Kent state, but all they had to do is look back to last year, the last team that beat them highest scoring team in the country. So UB still has something to prove, even though it's a team they're supposed to beat. Uh, same thing with Ohio to say, we haven't won there in 12 years. Uh, and uh, the link that Solich and, and Leipold have uh, those types of things um, I think are very uh, significant to keeping um keeping players and coaches focused and not taking an opponent for granted when, when you're starting to get national attention like UB has. It's a revenge tour is what Kyoto Awasika called it. They played all of the teams that they lost to last year. Ohio will be the last one. And even Northern Illinois in the MAC championship game a couple of years back. So if they get this Ohio win, they really, they've beaten all the teams that have beaten them in the last couple of years and atone for their losses. This would get them to right five and zero. Oh if they were to win this game and then what the, the finale is against Akron. Okay. Which is Akron's a lower Mac team. I mean, they're going to win that game. Lousy. Yeah. Akron's lousy. And then you have the Mac championship game and, and hopefully if you're, you be a bowl game. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I think it, it hinges on this game. If they win this game, they win the MAC East, then they're going to be in the MAC championship. And I think it's a weird thing with the Bulls because I don't think all of the tie-ins are going to play out the way they normally do. I don't think the MAC's going to get shut out of bowl games, but they might not get quite as many as they would in a normal season. I do think the two teams that go to the championship game probably can count on going to a bowl game, but it might not be more than that. So if UB does lose at Ohio on Saturday, they don't win the division. They don't go to the MAC championship game probably, and they might not get to a bowl game. So this is doesn't Jarrett Patterson game. though give them a little bit of an insurance policy for that at large? Well, possibly, but the rules are different. The rules about being bowl eligible, the rules about which schools from different conferences that might not be followed. Some of these bowl games are getting canceled. There's less bowl slots. I do think that probably helps UB's case. Maybe if if the MAC is trying to get a third team in a bowl game. But I think that it's just not something that a team that doesn't win one of the divisions can really count on because they're not sure how many slots the MAC is really going to be able to fill. And the MAC and ESPN kind of decide these things, and I think they're probably going to go with the two teams that are in the championship game before they start looking for a third team. Yeah, it'll be uh, – so that – adds a little bit more pressure to UB. Good pressure, I think, to make sure that they take care of business and don't look too far ahead or take things for granted. Or, as Josh Allen might do, start laughing on the field. I mean, UB hit the over by themselves on uh, on Saturday. So they can laugh all they want. That's that's pretty good stuff. 67 and a half was the... uh, the over-under we were talking about. Against the highest scoring team, too. So you knew that, yeah, that total was ratcheted up and they still got it all by themselves. So hopefully for Ohio, bear with me. With a missed field goal, usually. 57. It's only 57. So I like that over. Hopefully all the Fs out there got rich listening to TGA. They should have. Um, Joel Staniszewski was on it too. So if you've listened to this show, you get some pretty, uh, lucrative analysis. How'd his picks do? He had, on your he had bills over. I, I, he did. Yeah. He missed the over. He did miss the over. Uh, if the chargers, which they should have after completing that hail Mary should have scored. If Anthony Lynn doesn't coach himself out of a touchdown, uh, then, uh, then it does. I think it pushes. No, I think over, right? um, it depends. It would have been 27 to 24, which would have been 51. Still would have been under. Oh, was it 54? Uh, the spread was hanging in the balance, though. It's um, the spread. Yeah, the spread. It, it would have been um, – it would have pushed on the spread. That's right. It would which have. is why, why were the Bills playing such aggressive defense on that last three-second play? I would think you just let them walk in. The game's over. Well, maybe um, they had some – Money on the spread. <laughs> yeah, there was three seconds left. There was no way for – there was no way – it was it was impossible for – It's that season the Chargers to tie the game. They, they heard us knocking on their negative point differential a couple weeks ago. I want to make sure that they jacked that number up. The John Chargers would have had to – Against re- the spread record post-buy to, to look really good. So he had to hold it down. Can you advance your own onside kick? I know that another team can the, – the opposing team can return it. Can you advance? Is there the is there the possibility of taking your own onside kick for a touchdown? Because that's what they would have had to do to win. That's a good question. I don't 
I don't know the answer. Because the touchdown would have taken two seconds. That leaves. I know I've done it on Madden, but I don't know if the what the rule is now. I kind of wouldn't a guy on the other team have to touch it because you can advance. No, the whole ten yard thing. So if it goes ten, if you can get it to go ten yards, can you grab it and keep going? I I think it might be. I think it's. I think it's a live ball. At the recovery. I don't know. I think it might be one of those deals you can advance. What right. happened a couple of years ago when the Bills didn't field the kick with Anthony Lynn as coach? Did you know in that last game and they kicked it down the field and the other team, I think it was the Jets, ran down and just picked up the ball? Did that was a dead, a dead ball or were they able to advance that? Good question. All right. Well, that's I'll have to find this answer. If you're listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK right now, I will make sure I get this question answered and post it on Twitter or we will discuss on, uh, on, uh, the other uh, episode later this week. I want Tyler Dunn to write 4,000 words about it and then email me by the end of the night. And he probably will. Hey, uh, his boss. we're going to have some boxing talk uh, on uh, Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK later this week, William Detloff, uh, who I used to write with at ring magazine and KO uh, who has another interesting journalism story uh, Similar to Tyler Dunn, uh, William Detloff has a publication called Ringside Seat. Um, although it is a physical publication, uh, boxing essays and some coverage, it's all feature stories. Uh, but we are going to talk boxing uh, later this week with William Detloff. And um, I, I actually reached out to him uh, last week and said, I want to have you on. Do we want to talk about Mike Tyson, Roy Jones fight, or would that be belittling boxing? Would you rather do it another time? And it was his choice. He said, let's not talk before Tyson Jones. Uh, so that way we, uh, we actually talk about meaningful boxing. Uh, but does he such, want to talk about Jake Paul and Nate Robinson? Such as it is. Yeah. Jake Paul and Nate, right. Poor Nate. The guy, I mean, how can he lose that fight? Number one. And then he will just, the, he, he was an instant meme. He was, people were reenacting it. Um, well, that, that's either one you guys of watch, Did either of you guys buy the pay-per-view? No, nor did I. Uh, but I had some friends who had it and they were giving me some updates. Uh, from what I understand, the Tyson Jones fight was not an embarrassment. It was somewhat competitive. Mike Tyson, I did see some highlights. Uh, Mike Tyson did seem to sting him a couple of times, but Roy Jones, Roy Jones was one of the most boring fighters to me, for me. I mean, a lot of people loved him, but I thought he was just boring as hell when he was in his prime and uh, he was able to tie up Tyson a couple of times and it ended up in a draw for those who uh, didn't see. So you think of Tyson, Tyson Jones, two guys over 50 washed up in an exhibition uh, this doesn't even count towards their records. Uh, and it ends in a draw. You would think, you know, what a, what a mess. But, from, but a lot of people I talked to said it was actually pretty entertaining. Well, can I see this real quick? Because I, I don't think you're old enough to remember, but I know you've written about Muhammad Ali extensively, probably could answer this question. When he was fighting Lyle Zato and Gorilla Monsoon and all these exhibitions late in his career, you know, what, was that taken seriously or was that a joke like this fight was kind of looked at? You know, because we haven't seen that kind of retired boxer doing those kind of fights lately. It, it seemed like a big thing years ago. Yeah, I think um, 
I, somewhere in the middle of taken seriously and a total joke. Uh, the Lyle Alzado fight uh, had a massive crowd. I, I want to say they, they fought in Denver. I, I don't it remember. Sense. He was on the Broncos then, Alzado. Yeah, they fought in a stadium and it had a huge crowd. Uh, the Gorilla Monsoon, you know, when Tyson went over, or um, Ali went over to Japan and, and fought their pro wrestling uh, deity, whoever that was at the time. Um, they were mass, massive events, but he never was going to apply himself. He was there to put on a show. And if he ever thought he was losing the crowd, he would do the Ali shuffle, land a few punches and, and dance out of trouble. Um, so it was more like going to see a concert. You know, you, I got to see Muhammad Ali more so than any kind of legitimate uh, sporting competition. Uh, but it was also different back then. I think people still believed wrestling was real, or at least there were a lot of people who bought into it. It wasn't uh, out of the, totally out of the shadows. And so people did go into these, some of these exhibitions thinking there was a chance Ali could lose, Ali could get seriously hurt. It was uh, kind of the inspiration for some of the discussions that led to UFC. Can a wrestler beat a boxer? Can a karate champion beat a sumo wrestler? Can, you know, let's get all these guys in the ring and find out. And so there was part of that. Um, yeah, it was, uh, but I, I think mostly it was, it was tongue in cheek because you knew Ali was going to have to fight a, a boxer at some point. And, and those were the fights you really wanted to pay attention to, but, but a great question, a great question that um, I think you'd have to probably live during that time and, and have witnessed it to, to know what it really felt like. And that does predate me. Um, all right. Anything else we want to touch on before we wrap it up? No. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Good talk. We uh, talked uh, foosball. We talked journalism. Uh, we talked with uh, Tyler Dunn of Go Long with Tyler Dunn. And uh, folks should uh, give it a look. Consider subscribing if you are a fan of long-form journalism and original reporting. Uh, all right. We'll talk later this week. We'll talk Bill's 49ers. Uh, probably... Uh, UB at Ohio recap and uh, boxing at, uh, on the next Tim Graham show brought to you by CTBK.